Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 7th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our guest this evening is Irma K. Sawyer, and she is an author, a spiritual teacher, intuitive counselor, Akashic Records consultant, and energy healing practitioner from Southern California. She's been in professional healing and consulting practice since 1992 and has certifications in Reiki, magnified healing, shamanic healing, intuitive counseling, and Akashic Record consulting. As a natural intuitive, she began giving readings at age 12. Irma spontaneously began channeling the Archangelic Energy Collective in 1996, and then her current guidance team, the Akashic Wisdom Keepers, in 2007. She's written several books, including The Aquarian Empath, as well as two online courses, Empath Empowerment Mastery and Healing from Your Family of Origin and Reclaiming Your Life. Her next online course is Intuitive Development, coming up in the fall of this year. Her website is Irma K. Sawyer, and that's I-R-M-A, the letter K, S-A-W-Y-E-R.com. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening for any listeners that have a question or comment for our guest. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we always appreciate Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want the interpretation of that beyond just the timing, please order it at least two or three months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours, since we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Lavender, everybody. Great to be back. Well, we've got lots of news to talk about tonight, so I better get started. Um, have you guys ever heard of this, a meteor shower in broad daylight? Well, no. the annual, yeah, the annual arrited meteor shower peaks today and tomorrow. Now, the arrightids are unusual because they are daytime meteors, and the shower is most intense after sunrise. 
So people who wake up early might notice a small number of aritids during the dark hours before dawn. They say the real action, however, occurs in broad daylight. That's pretty cool. So keep your eyes to the blue sky, and you may see a falling star. And uh, wow. by the way, this is yeah, isn't that cool? <clears throat> this comes from spaceweather.com. We have had a very close uh, uh, flyby of an asteroid today. It's uh, asteroid 216 LT1 just flew by today. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, at a distance of 0 0.4 uh, lunar distance from us. Kind of small, only seven meters, but nevertheless, real close flyby. And a solar wind uh, flowing from an active coronal hole should reach the Earth, our home here, uh, June 11th and 12th, so be mindful of that. Well, they have discovered something very interesting about Jupiter. Just one month before the Juno spacecraft arrives at the, uh, the gas giant Jupiter, the most detailed radio wave maps ever before made of the planet's atmosphere are going to dig be uh, beneath the surface-level clouds of this planet to reveal that there is whirling ammonia that flows to help form the distinctive features of the spot and the uh, gases around Jupiter. Researchers have used uh, the upgraded Very Large Array Radio Telescope in New Mexico to probe 60 miles below the top of the gas giant's pervasive clouds, revealing a correlation between the colorful whirls and spots on its visible surface and the movement of the gas beneath it. They say that's driven by Jupiter's internal heat source. They say that, in essence, they have created a three-dimensional picture of ammonia gas in Jupiter's atmosphere. They say that that gas reveals upward and downward motions, that it's very turbulent. This is according to a spokesman for the study at the University of California, Berkeley. So, a three-dimensional picture of ammonia gas. Wow. Uh, I didn't see that, but that might be quite interesting. Well, we've had some earthquake activity in uh, Indonesia, New Zealand, and so on. There was uh, a 6.3 magnitude quake that hit Indonesia on Sunday, and then just today a, a 6.3 magnitude uh, earthquake occurred off of Indonesia's eastern coast. It happened underneath the sea. And in both cases, there were no reports of casualties or damages, and no tsunami warnings were issued. But in New Zealand, we had a strong 6.0 magnitude earthquake that hit yesterday. It hit off of a remote New Zealand island, according to the USGS. And uh, in Mexico, Jalisco, I used to know people that lived in Jalisco, they had a 6.2 magnitude earthquake today. So that's what's been going on. And by the way, about New Zealand having so many earthquakes, they are uh, talking about the development of a new volcano occurring underneath the land masses there. They think that is might, that might be what's causing all of these earthquakes in the New Zealand area. So don't know, but that's been in the news as well. Well, in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, they have had hailstones the size of golf balls. It did some damage to the Highlands Ranch on Monday afternoon. That was yesterday. And it was because uh, severe weather hit Colorado. It brought very heavy rain, wind, and hail to that area. They say that this hailstorm caught people off guard. They said it was like a bomb going off, really loud, and uh, hail pelted the ground for more than 30 minutes. People said it stripped the leaves off of trees like a paper shredder. Oh. This is not the only report of weather, people. 
this is an incredible time. We would need probably an hour uh, every week in the last month or so, uh, maybe even more than that, to cover the kinds of weather news that's going on all over the planet. It's bizarre. I'm going to share a little bit about that with you tonight, but believe me, pardon the pun, this is only the tip of the iceberg or the hailstone or whatever you want to say. (laughs) I'm going to share some of that with you tonight. Right now, the West Coast is in the grip of a life-threatening triple-digit heat wave. They said that's set to continue well into next week. It is raising the risk of wildfires. Now, the National Weather Service has issued excessive heat warnings for southeastern California, southern Nevada, western and southern Arizona, western Oregon, and far southwest Washington. Now, from Oregon to Nevada, temperatures are set to top 100 Fahrenheit tomorrow and into into, uh, the next day, with Phoenix predicted to top out at 116. Now, there was a massive brush fire on Saturday in the Calabasas area outside of Los Angeles that forced mandatory evacuations as rapid flames consumed over 500 acres and threatened 3,000 homes. Uh, the L.A. County Fire Department said that that was a fast-moving fire. They, uh, people couldn't see where it was coming from because of the de- dense canopy of the trees in the canyons. And having lived in that area, I can tell you that's true. Fire can come up on you very quickly. You just can't see anything coming. You can see the smoke, but you're not sure where the flames are. Well, meanwhile, CNN has reported that this is the second year in a row that Texas has been hit by 500-year floods. Now, um, they say that it's extremely unusual. Uh, It says that parts of Texas have seen these floods back-to-back during the last few years, and maybe even twice this year. And they say the odds of that happening are infinitesimally small. And across the Atlantic, Europe is also dealing with some extremely crazy weather. Uh, Last month in May, uh, certain parts of Europe hit 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Of course, they measured their weather through centigrade, but it it was equivalent to 20 degrees Fahrenheit, and it did a lot of freezing of fruits and vegetables, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But going on right now, there's major flooding that's reported all over the European continent, and the French just experienced their wettest month since 1886. In fact, Parts of France's border with Belgium received six weeks' worth of rain in just under 24 hours earlier earlier this week, maybe on the weekend. caused widespread flooding across the country, and May was the rainiest month since 1886, according to Radio France. And as a result of that rain, uh, French meteorologists are saying that the Seine River in Paris will peak at 21 feet above its usual level. Now, this was to occur probably last Friday. I don't know what happened, but we do know, well, we do know that it hap- what happened. Um, they had to close the Louvre due to flooding concerns. Um, they were moving priceless treasures. I understand the Mona Lisa is okay, but <laughs> anyway, uh, lots of flooding in France. Now, on the other side of the planet, many areas of India have been dealing with unprecedented heat. Um, they have set the all-time record for the highest temperature ever recorded in India, and that was broken. That was back in May. But a severe heat warning is in place right now for much of India. Uh, Temperatures in northern parts of the country have risen above 104 degrees, and this has been constant for weeks, according to the BBC. They say that it's killed hundreds of people and destroyed crops in more than 13 states, according to the Associated Press. 
Now, folks, that's just a little sampling of what's going on. It's everywhere. It's like it's gone off the charts, stuff going on with the weather. And the extreme cold that we had this spring and all across the northern hemisphere caused extensive crop losses all over Europe, North America, and Asia. In fact, the losses, they say, are staggering. In several European countries, such as Austria and Switzerland, Italy, Croatia, Germany, Romania, Slovenia, France, and Belgium, apples and pears, cherries and grapes were frozen. 80% of cherries, 60% of apricots, 6 to 12% of wheat, that percentage varies. Some, some uh, figures are higher than that. 13% of the Austrian wine production, uh, and in North America, 50% losses for fruit. Australian wheat is also down wheat production. Now, according uh, to some interesting websites that I've discovered, a new bank report has revealed that persistent drought conditions in California will probably cause farmers and agribusiness up to $1.5 billion in losses this year. And uh, in the Canary Islands, where they produce an immense number of apricots, they are going through a rough patch of weather because they have had abnormal uh, temperatures. They say that they're going to lose more than 70% of their apricot production. And in Spain, they say that asparagus production will be down at least 50% because of their weather conditions. And on and on and on it goes. That is just a tiny portion of what I could have gone into tonight. Cherries, every kind of fruit you can think of, grapes, um, wheat, uh, different kinds of vegetables all over the world. Production is down dramatically. And I planted a garden where I live, and I will tell you that the rain was so intense during the spring when we should have been planting, we couldn't get it planted. It was um, an unusually warm, very, very warm, very warm early spring, and then it got very, very cold. And now we are getting into some blistering heats and uh, it seems to be like a yo-yo, back and forth we go. And I can imagine that local farmers and local production has ha have had difficulty because of this wet, wet, muddy earth from all of that rain. So there we have it about the weather and about the uh, conditions across the planet as far as food production and um, human lives and suffering that's going on from the uh, weather uncertainty all across the planet. Well, they have found this fascinating thing out about fish. Now, before I give you this story, I want to tell you that I used to have a wonderful aquarium. In fact, I had a koi pond. And um, the koi and the fish would recognize me. I'd come up to the tank, and they would come to the, uh, the surface of the glass. They knew I was going to feed them, or maybe they just wanted to say hi. But I'm here to tell you I'm a witness that fish recognize the people that take care of them. Well, this is an article just about that. Science has never been able to prove that before, and years ago people would have said, oh, you're just imagining it. They can't. They don't know you from Adam. But I knew they did, and now this study out of life science shows that indeed uh, fish can recognize human faces. They say that, um, at least they found out this particular fact through a study of a tropical fish, now, they say that um, in the past, research has shown that certain animals, such as horses and cows, dogs, and even some birds, this, they uh, specify pigeons, uh, can successfully point out a human face out of a crowd. It can recognize one individual beyond another. Now, this is a pretty complex task, they say, and it requires a neocortex to do it, or so they thought. 
they thought that it took a neocortex for animals to recognize uh, one human from another. But they wanted to do a study to see whether an animal with a simpler brain, one that doesn't have a neocortex, such as a fish, for instance, could recognize faces. And so researchers gathered up some archer fishes. And uh, that particular species is known for relying on its vision to detect flying land animals, such as insects. And then it spits jets of water at the prey that is in the air to knock it down and to bring it into the water so they can eat it. Pretty amazing little uh, um, ability that they have. Well, they say that when uh, the human face was placed in a lineup, um, uh, a human face that these fish were around a lot, like some uh, person that fed them. When that person was placed in a lineup of 44 unfamiliar faces, well, the fish recognized the one that fed them because they spit at the correct face 81% of the time on average. They said that this proves that um, fish can recognize human faces, and they really don't know why that is so, because fish have uh, little teeny tiny brains without a neocortex, so that's another mystery yet to find. But yes, fish do recognize faces. And if you have fish at home, I'll bet that you already know that. <laughs> so anyway, it's I just love these uh, uh, news releases about what they're finding out about animals and their intellect and even the trees and nature having its intelligence, as we all know, but it is a beautiful thing to to really see what you've already known for years and years and years to being sh to be shown by science as having been a fact. It's wonderful. I have uh, yeah. pigeons in my yard and uh, doves and things like that, and I, I tell you people, they know me. When I go out to take out the bird seed, they all start chirping and carrying on. Um, I, I really think animals just are so aware. They are so beautiful. Well, anyway... Uh, 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 there's a funny story out of RT about some California nuns. Um, the name of the article is, Holy Smoke, California Nuns Defy Cannabis Cultivation Ban to Provide Medicinal Marijuana to the Poor. Well, apparently, uh, the town of Merced has cracked down on cannabis commerce. It has banned the growing of uh, cannabis cultivation. But despite this... Uh, some nuns called Sisters of the Valley continued to grow their cannabis plants. They said that the ban doesn't apply to us, I suppose because of religion, I'm not sure. And they said, so we've been operating straight through it. They said, our medicine is medicine and it's non-psychoactive. We're dealing with what is actually hemp, but we really advocate for whole plant legalization. Now the nuns, they say, are not traditionally religious, but they're spiritual. They say that their holy trinity includes Mother Earth, honoring people through making medicine and healing, and their progressive activism. Uh, the sisters say a prayer over each bottle before it's sent to customers, but the salve doesn't come cheap. It's $95 for 8 ounces, and the cannabis oil costs $85 for 2 ounces. Now, this uh, one of these sisters told mainstream news organization that she makes about $1,000 a day, but that she does it legally, and she deposits it in the bank. <laughs> in states where medical marijuana is legal, there has been a 25% drop in painkiller-related deaths. Now, this is according to a 2015 study by University of Pennsylvania and John Hopkins researchers, and that was published in the JMA, JAMA uh, Medical Journal. So what do you know about that? A 25% wow. drop in painkiller-related deaths. So those sisters are doing their thing, and that's a really cute story. It is. 
Well, out of India, uh, an inspiring entrepreneur has designed an inexpensive refrigerator that cools without electricity. Gosh, this is so neat. I think I want one of these. You know, uh, many of the inspirational uh, inventions that have come along from inventors and entrepreneurs have come from people that haven't had college educations. Well, this man is from India, and his name is Mr. Prajapati. But uh, he is a person who never finished high school, but he built a very successful business um, making um, clay plates, earthen plates. His biography is interesting, but it's uh, we don't need it for this news show. But just to suffice it to say, he made a lot of money making uh, earthenware items. <clears throat> and uh, his ingenuity and training with clay uh, led him to develop this line of products that's particularly the rev revolutionary. He calls it Midi Cool, and it produces an entire line of kitchen products made from clay. Now, these products that he sells include things like water filters, hot plates, a cooker, and, and refrigerators. Now, the refrigerator that he designed uses the science of water evaporation to keep food cold in a small earthen fridge that uses no electricity, and it's already being sold in several countries. Is that cool? I think that's wow. cool. And they did say it keeps food cold. So if any of you are interested of, of getting one of those, if you live off the grid, check that out. Uh, just Google that on the net. Maybe you can find a place to get yourself a clay refrigerator. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, Google, <laughs> Google says that they're developing a kill switch to prevent robots from turning on their masters. So, you know, been a lot of talk recently about a robot uprising in the future. Well, you can all rest a little easier, according to Google anyway, as they say they're working on a kill switch to prevent robots from turning on humans. Now, while Google cr continues to create more intuitive artificial intelligence systems and repeatedly just shows us why robots might turn on humanity, uh, this tech giant has established a new paper that details the development of safety interruptible agents that will prevent robots from doing things that they shouldn't. So, uh. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a fog harvesting moss, a fog harvesting desert moss that collects fresh water directly from the atmosphere. Now, in a in a world where water is becoming a tremendous problem and increasingly so, uh, this we might learn something from this little plant. There is a common desert moss that sucks water directly out of the air instead of taking it from the ground. And as we all know, other plants get their water from roots, but this little plant does not, and this is a discovery that could be used to maybe inspire us for ways of collecting clean drinking water in developing countries and maybe even here at home, the way things are going. And they say that tiny fibers attached to the tips of the moss leaves allow this plant to harvest fog and mist droplets. And how did they discover this? An associate at Utah State University filmed the plant uh, drinking the air. And wow. by the way, the name of that moss is, let's see if I can say it for you, for those of you that might want to look this up, Centriachia canninervis. Centriachia canninervis. So you can try to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. Well, our last story for tonight. Um, we talk a lot about genetic engineering and what they're doing out there. Well, 
a scientists scientists here in the U.S. are uh, asking to manufacture synthetic human genomes. Now, it's only been 13 years that the uh, National Human Genome Research Institute finished sequencing the human genome. But now, another group of American scientists are calling for a 10-year project aimed at creating their own human genomes from scratch. I kid you not. The proposal for the project, known as the Human Genome Project Right, was published in Science last Thursday and announced the group's intention to launch the project this year with a $100 million startup it will secure in funding. They say, and I quote, Genome synthesis is a logical extension of the genetic engineering tools that have been used safely within the biotech industry for 40 years and have provided important societal benefits, according to the authors who wrote this paper and who are heading up this program. They say that this could lead to important biotech innovations like growing human organs that could be used for transplants and, and cell lines that are engineered to be resistant to viruses and disease. So there we go. Human beings making their own genes, their own genomes. Yeah, I bet they all have white beards. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you what, they're in white coats, and I probably yeah, should be yeah, in straight well, jackets, but there it is. Kind of like playing play God. Well, absolutely. And does the news yeah. get weirder and weirder or what? Yeah. It is, it, it, <laughs> this is a wild ride. <laughs> Okay, well, it's going to be a nice show tonight, Ariel, and I'll talk to all of you next week. You all keep your ear to the ground and keep the light shining. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anastasia. And we will um, collectively, you know, send some some light to the areas that you've talked about that are having such extreme weather and problems. So absolutely, everybody you know, lift them up. Okay. That's right. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Anastasia. And you'll be back next week. And right now, I will uh, see get Lavendar's mic open. And um, let me, if there's Irma on the switchboard, let me get both your mics open. Okay. Irma, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. That was a great news section, by the way. Really oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, she does a great job, and everybody loves um, Anastasia, so we do too. <laughs> uh, but all right, now I'm going to turn you over to Lavendar, and she's going to um, start off um, talking about your your book. And Lavendar, take it away. So Irma, so glad that that you're able to be our guest tonight. And I just wanted you to get very comfortable with our audience because we have a very awake audience. So whatever you want to share, maybe things that you have reluctantly didn't want to talk about before, maybe you can talk about it tonight because all of our people are really awake. So how did you become um, the starseed indigo that you are and at what age? Well, first of all, thank you so much and welcome, and what a, what a wonderful thing to be um, on a program with an awake audience. It's great. Yeah. Um, I, I think that when I was a kid, like talking to a lot of fellow indigo starseeds, the, the feeling of looking up in the stars and not really feeling at home, and, and, and the joke was like my family thought I was being cheeky, but I actually used to say, you know, who, what have you done? Where are my family and, you know, who are you? <laughs> what have you done with my real family? Um, so I never really felt very at home with my, my Sue or my family of origin. 
Um, I also was very sensitive, uh, especially like a lot of empaths are, to both positive and negative energies. Um, and I noticed that other people around me weren't really picking up on the same thing. So that was really something that was an impetus, impetus for my journey as well. And I also started doing readings really young. I started doing, I, you know, I get, looking back at them now, they almost were like formal readings um, about probably about, you know, 10, 11, 12 in that time period. So that, you know, kind of let me know that, know that something, something was up. But it was a while before I actually heard the term starseed, um, started getting into the work of Dolores Cannon and hearing about indigos, and, and she very much informed a lot of my work and, and my books and, and that would come in the future. So that, that's kind of how that started. So where, where were you raised? What state, where did you grow up? In Southern California, in uh, Orange County, actually. Okay. Tustin, California, pretty close to, to this good old Disneyland <laughs> in Anaheim. <laughs> we used to spend a lot of time, a lot of summers at Disneyland. So, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. So I, I noticed that you uh, have a strong connection to Edgar Casey and his influence uh, that that's uh, now presenting to you in your work. So give us a little um, uh, indication of how that came about. Oh, good old Brother Casey. Yes, love him so much. Um, he started coming to me in dreams and lucid dreams when, when I was a child, and I didn't really know who he was, but I just knew there was this gentleman with the, with the spectacles and these piercing blue eyes that was showing up. And um, there was a lot of kind of symbolic language in, in these dreams, and the one thing they kept repeating was this image of a skeleton key, which is it's interesting because my first book called Cosmic Love, there's this great image of a skeleton key, and then it has the word love on it, and that was a wonderful artist rendition that was done for the cover. So that was there was you know that was chosen pretty consciously. But when I was older, I actually saw a picture of Casey somewhere, and probably on the back of one of his books, and went, oh, that's that's that gentleman, and I really felt very, very drawn to him, and it, it turned out later that um, it was revealed to me that I am in his soul group, and that he's, he's known me and my father, who passed when I was three years old, um, for a long time, so it was really kind of my father, who was a medical doctor and also a medical intuitive, so there's kind of that connection to Casey, who of course was one of the greatest medical intuitives around, especially in his time period. So that, that was really the connection. It was the Akashic work that I got into many years later and, and the medical intuitive work as well. But it, it was that key that led me to um, the Akashic work that was always kind of there, the skeleton key. And interestingly, keys, the skeleton key is related to Chiron, which I know you've got <laughs> some great astrologers here this evening. And Chiron plays pretty strongly in my chart. So that was another, it was, you know, key, another key, another little breadcrumb to follow. So that was, um, that was kind of how that came about. And then later when I started doing work with the Akashic Wisdom Keepers, who are my guides presently, that he would show up and was present for some of the meetings that I had with them. And he still is. So but have you, have you gone to goes. Virginia Beach to, 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 to go to his uh, headquarters? You know, I've never been there, but I have um, taken training from Kevin Tedeschi, who is, you know, runs the organization now. That's definitely on my list is to go there, <laughs> but I actually haven't been there. But I've seen um, several teachers when they come to California, which has been great. Yeah. So how has your own experience as an empath shaped your life and career? Wow, yes. Um, I wrote two books 
um, on empathy, the Aquarian Empath, book one, and then I did a part two. Um, that was one of these things also where when I realized what an empath was, it was like this huge, you know, light went off over my head. Because as a child, um, I was, you know, raised in kind of a dysfunctional, toxic environment. I had a lot of um, psychosomatic type problems, headaches, stomach aches, asthma. Um, when I started getting into energy work, um, starting out as a Reiki practitioner and doing some work with medical intuitives, that was when I realized that I had a problem with energy absorption. I also was noticing when I went to crowds or things of that nature, um, I remember one particular incident in an electronics store. So there's all these people, and then there's all the electronics that so was just kind of like between the people and the EMF that was enough to kind of drive me out of my skin. So that was when I went, okay, other people aren't reacting to these kind of things. What's going on? So that led me, you know, really on this journey of what what is this extreme empathy and sensitivity? How can I use it, to, you know, to my advantage and not have it be such a burden? And because that was the one thing. And when I started reaching out on the, on the Internet and, and being part of empath groups and, and communities, um, it was one of these things I realized that, yes, there needs to be more information about this. And that was part of the impetus of writing the first book, The Aquarian Empath, which I'm so happy that people still write me and beautiful emails and, and thank me for writing that book. And it's, it's, a small, it's a small little book. And I remember when I put it out thinking that it was, it's not very long, but I think it is kind of packed with um, – it's a good primer to start. And I think that the second book kind of expounded and went into some deeper material. So the empath work really is, has turned out to be a really kind of large part of what I do, especially uh, with clients and my own healing and uh, counseling practice. Right. So when did you become a, a channel telepath, and how, and how has that evolved? Um, that started in 1996, and I first started as a channel, and I was spontaneously channeling um, the AAE, what I call the Archangelic Energy Collective. It was primarily the archangels, and I worked with them um, up until 2007, and then that's when I started getting into the Akashic work, and I got connected to my current guides, which are the Akashic Wisdom Keepers. I still do work with healing angels in a healing capacity, so my relationship with them has changed a little bit. But also I went from, it evolved from channeling to actually receiving the information um, telepathically. So I'm still very present and my eyes are open and I'm not in a trance. And that was one of those things because Casey, as you know, was a sleeping prophet. He was in a full trance. He had to be fully protected. So I always had this thing, like there was like a safety mechanism thing that I was aware of, of kind of checking out and not wanting to check out. So as the work evolved, it got to be more conscious work that I did when I was fully present and my eyes were open, and that's still how I received the information. Um, that's but that, great. That's just I'm on. Yeah. really glad to hear that. That really is, that's great. You, well, you have a new book out that came out in April of the Aquarian Empath. Tell us about it. Well, actually, my new book is is the compilation edition of all five of my um, – it's my sixth book, and it's the compilation edition of all five of the Bright Star Empowerments. And what those are, Aquarian Empath 1 and 2, Aquarian Path to Abundance, and my book called The Aquarian Healer, and it's all compiled in one volume. So people don't have to get the, the little books. They can just get the one with all of those, all oh, of those titles great. in there. So that's, yeah, that was pretty cool that we that we did that. Yeah, I was, I'm excited about it. 
I, I noticed that the keepers have shared some unique things with you, uh, including your own take on cosmic weather. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that's come together and how your group, Physical Avatar Group, is, is working with you? Um, absolutely. And, like, well, that's why I was so excited about hearing hearing the news, you know, the, <laughs> the space news or the star news at the beginning of the program because I'm very interested in, the, in that kind of information. Um, so I started Cosmic Weather, when was that? I think that was in 2010 on Facebook, and that page has grown. It's been very, very successful. Um, we have quite a large community there. And uh, going back to the avatar work, when I started doing readings, individual readings, I've always been very interested in medical intuitive work. I feel like that is my um, kind of forte. And that I know that I, I sent in for to get my chart done. I'm so excited when you guys finally look at that because I know you'll you'll see some things in there that that makes sense in terms of all the Virgo and and the Scorpio and and the work that I do. So that's always kind of really lit me up is is you know actually kind of getting to conditions that are subclinical or maybe these folks have been to a lot of different type of practitioners and doctors and these are the same kind of cases that Edward Casey worked on. The, you know, the, quote, unsolvable kind of cases. So with the physical avatar is an element, is an aspect of all human beings that exist in the higher dimension and the Akashic dimension, and it basically contains information related to the physical and emotional well-being of that particular individual. So I was already working with the avatar in some of the readings that I was doing. So with cosmic weather, when I would do these energy forecasts, and if we were going through a particularly powerful upgrade at that time, uh, or, you know, big shift in the astrocosmic, um, I would get information from the group avatar. And when I first started, I was like, I don't know if people are going to resonate with this. It's just kind of what I'm getting. And I would get, okay, these chakras are more effective, for example. These chakras are more effective than the others, or this, these are some of, the symptom, some of the symptomology that you might be experiencing. So I would, you know, post these, and the, I just the response was amazing. I get so many people saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm going through and, and really resonating with that. So the cool thing about it is the avatar, the physical avatar on an individual level, I found was always very accurate, and that's why I like working with it. But now when you do a group avatar, you're basically talking about everybody that's a certain awake type of individual that's experiencing certain things through the shift. That was what I started doing with those reports, and they, they're they really fun and cool to do, and I was so excited that they connected with so many people. So I think that was one of the things that, that actually um, added to the popularity of that page, the Cosmic Weather page. So what, what do you, what, what do you uh, find on this Cosmic Weather page? Give me an example of what somebody might find if they looked at this page. Okay, um, sure. We, we basically will do... Um, Whatever important, like right now we have something on Juno, after Juno moving into Libra, whatever, you know, we have traditional astrology on there that, that's pertinent. Um, you know, I've certainly written a lot about the current retrogrades that we've been in and that kind of thing. Um, I feel really blessed that I've been connected. I'm connected to some really great astrologers on Facebook because I've been on, on there so long. So I feel like it's kind of the, the best, the, you know, cream of the crop of, of certain, you know, different approaches to it. But it's definitely more esoteric astrology. Um, there's, there's energy readings um, on a pretty regular basis. So, and also when any – I do new moon and full moon reports monthly, and I've done those um, since 2009. So that's my contribution and also, if there's anything, like, for, for example, we just had a new moon, 
um, there was a lot of information that came through, uh, you know, for new moons. So that's the kind of thing we're looking at. We're always going to we're always covering new moons and full moons, and basically anything that's pertinent or relevant in the weather, it, we're going to put it on that page. So that's that's great. Well, I'll it. be looking at that. Yeah. I'm really excited to to see that. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited you're going to look at it, Lavendar. Thank you. So, uh, who's been your biggest spiritual influence, and why? Um, I have a few. I, of course, I would say, you know, Casey, of course, for obvious reasons, for why I shared with you. Um, I, I've always been very drawn to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I've seen him speak many times. Um, I consider him like a spiritual grandfather. I've, I feel a really deep connection to him that kind of just, you know, is one of those intuitive things that's without words. Um, Paramahansa Yogananda, I consider my first spiritual teacher. Um, I learned meditation at Self-Realization Fellowship when I was 18 and had some very powerful experiences there. So that's, you know, I kind of always, you know, refer to him. And also uh, Dolores Cannon, as I mentioned earlier, because when I started reading her material about indigos, adult indigos and volunteer souls, it really was another uh, little key for my own work because I was receiving a lot of information um, pertaining to adult indigos and also um, crystalline beings that are volunteers and um, beings that have never been here yet, you know, really, really high beings that this is a new earth experience for them. I was seeing some of that in my work. So she was really able to kind of put it all together for me, and I like that she has a, a, a down-to-earth practical approach because I do too, you know, I'm a Capricorn, I'm an earth sign. So I kind of have always approached this in, the, in like how can I make this work? How can I make this work connect with people and make sense? So for her, her work made sense to me. And um, so she's a really, you know, important influence, I would say. Yeah, I love Dolores, and I was so sorry that Mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to see her before she left the planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when you went to self-realization there in California, did you ever meet Dennis Weaver? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I know he's a very, um, he was a devotee, right, for many years, but no, I didn't, I did not. Yeah, I know know in his last years that, that he would... He would be the um, he would oversee self realization. He would every Sunday he would give the service, and I just wondered if you. I think he did those in. I think he did those in L.A. And I used to either go to the one the temple that was um, in in Encinitas or in Orange County. But I um yeah I didn't I didn't know that he actually did services. That's very cool. I knew yeah, that he was. I, a, I traveled a, with him for about four years. We did a lot of environmental work, and uh, and so when he he passed. Uh, the self-realization people opened up everything there, and we had his big memorial there. So, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So what advice can you give to other indigo starseed empaths on how to get out there in the public with confidence regarding their own spiritual gifts as you have? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, first of all, I am going to be giving a online class basically on that topic on September 26th, and that is through um, – people can find that out on my Facebook page or on my website, but that's going to be also at 4 p.m. Pacific time for a couple of hours, and that's through the Inner Balance Wellness Center. They're, they're the ones that host these events that I do. So I'm going to be um, – talking about that and also doing some soul star activation work, which has to do with soul mission, which is really, really cool. Um, There's so much that I could say about that because there's so many um, really intimidating things, especially for empaths. 
um, because the social media can pretty much be the Wild West, as I like to refer to it. Um, so there's there's a few things that I kind of developed um, just just being out there, kind of trial and error. But basically, you know, to kind of, if I could pick a few key things, it would be to just, you know, stick to your own truth and your own voice. And, you know, all, there's always going to be naysayers and people that don't get it. And that's one of the things I think for highly sensitive people is to, is to consider the source and not get really sucked into other people's reality and other people's judgment. It's one thing to have respectful discussions of things. It's another thing to have, you know, what's called trolls or people that are offloading and projecting because that happens a lot in social media. So I think just, um, you know, you have to be a little bit tough to be out there, to be honest, as an empath. Um, so to me, it's been kind of this balance of how do you keep your heart open and be true to your own voice and your own mission, but, you know, not get sucked into these dramas and these things that happen. So for me, you know, that's involved going on uh, hiatuses. I take time off regularly. Um, I'm not on there 24-7. You know, I just I have really clear boundaries in social media, for example, because that's what I've had to do for me. So that's one of the areas that I have done some coaching with, with folks, whether they're creatives or trying to get there with their, out, out there with art or uh, with their light work, whether it be energy work or reading or anything like that. So I think there's some similarities that, that people do have, and I think that it is kind of scary at first, especially if people have been kind of just um, working with a small little community and they feel confident in that realm. It really does, you really have to stretch. It really is like building a new muscle to get out there on a bigger level. But I think that um, – Somebody like me, since I've been doing it for so long as an empath, um, I've had a lot of people tell me that that's helpful for them. That's great because to me it's like if I can, you know, I joke and say, you know, Transformation Girl is one of my nicknames, (laughs) making lemonade out of – actually, strawberry lemonade out of lemons, making, you know, something positive out of anything negative that does happen. So I have a lot of experience with that. So I feel like going back to what people can do, um, again, it's just remember remember their mission, remember their true voice and what they're all about and not get pulled into people's judgment and people, people's projections. And it is tough sometimes, but it certainly can be done. That's right. The one thing that I'm finding with a lot of clients that are showing up is uh, there's I'm seeing a lot of past life um, death through telling the truth. You know, I'm finding a lot mm-hmm. of people coming in and out of the Catholic Church that have so many strong records, they're afraid to step out and speak their truth. But what I'm Absolutely. finding is after 2012, something happened to a lot of star seeds on the planet where a lot of those records were erased and some of those fears were transmuted. Are you finding that too? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. And it, it's really interesting because I think around that time period, my own work changed. That's when, uh, you know, some of the, the writings that I was doing that they changed. And that's been addressed quite a bit, especially in Aquarian Empath, um, and some of it in Cosmic Love as well, the first book. But um, that's been really beautiful to see. And it's really interesting thinking about my own journey. When I first got into intuitive work and started taking formal training, that's going all the way back to the 90s, I was able to see some of my own stuff around that and clear it. And um, had a powerful experience where I was doing a tandem exercise with someone in class, and we both saw the exact same thing and cleared it. But that's something in my own work with students. Um, it still is coming up, but I find that I agree with you that it's um, much easier to clear when it comes up, and there's less of a charge, or there's less fear around it than there was. Yeah. I remember in, in the not yeah in the 90s when that stuff would come up. 
either for myself or with clients, it, it was it was really frightening. In some cases, it was really overwhelming. And I remember having a class where we had to take a break and people had to go outside and breathe and, you know, walk around the, <laughs> the building and get grounded. And now it seems like when that comes up, it's like, oh, you know, we just work with our spiritual assistants, our angelic assistants, who are, and it's just gone. So I'm that's really I'm really glad you you know that's great validation for what I've seen as well because it's not as intense at all. And I and I agree about the timing that it was around 2012. Well, and what, I really started noticing it then. Yeah. Yeah. What I noticed about the, the December 20th, 2012. Of course, we were all looking at it because of the Mayan calendar and everything. But it wasn't right. about the Mayan calendar that I started tracking. It was about the consciousness and how people's brains were rising up and, and, and uh, absorbing more information. It's like, so So if we have 10% of our brain working, I think after 2012, some of us went to 15% because we're we're tracking and we're looking at things in a whole different way and we're not holding some of the old belief patterns that have been holding us back, we go into knowing. Knowing it seems to be the thing that everybody is stepping into out of the belief systems. I, I kid, kid when I say, well, you're going from spiritual 101 to galactic 404, but that's exactly what we're doing. That's beautiful, absolutely. And I love what you said about the knowing. I, I've experienced that a lot as well. And you know the power of that because, it, again, it's beyond a belief. When you know something, you know it. You know you know it in your heart, your your whole being, you know, and it, it, it it's really powerful. That's great. And the other thing that I noticed was, you know, several years ago when we put our website up, you could type in Starseed and maybe maybe a couple of things might come up. You type in Starseed now and it's page after page after page, page after page yeah. mm-hmm. because they're awake, they're looking for one another, and I, I tell my clients that, that have that are counselors, I say, if you'll put Starseed in your heading, then Starseeds, they'll find you. You can specialize in Starseeds because there's that many out there looking for you, and that's what I tell them. And then I get emails back telling me, thank you so much. Now I'm booked two to three months in advance, and I'm hearing that wow. every day. Beautiful. That's great. I love it's that there's time. that much support yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what that is your favorite me. type of healing reading work on... to do with clients and why? My My favorite is... Um, probably, like I said, the medical intuitive work, um, working with people with, with challenges maybe that, that haven't been, you know, they're not clearing through more conventional or traditional means, that, that's a challenge for me that I love. Um, I also really love coaching work uh, with empaths and, and what I call empath empowerment, helping people shift out of this thing, this, the thing about the belief like, oh, this is a bummer and it's intimidating to actually seeing the beauty in it, seeing the gifts in it and just providing some tools and tips for, for empaths so they can feel a little bit more confident. I think a really, you know, one of the things about the empath work, going off into that a little bit, is that's been a little bit kind of proved to be controversial, and I didn't think it would be. But the big message from the keepers has been for empaths to stop transmuting the collective pain body, that we don't have to do that anymore. This is something that ties into what you were saying around the knowing and the shift around 2012. This is how my own work shifted, is that message came through to um, the role of empaths, especially starseed empaths on the planet, 
It was all about, okay, we're holding light for the planet, but this doesn't mean that we're participating in the dysfunction of the planet at, at that same level anymore or, or at our own detriment, right? So that right. message, like I said, it, 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 I didn't think it would be so so controversial, but there was there was some resistance to that, and it makes sense because you know when there's an old paradigm or an old guard, a, a group of people they're doing things a certain way. But that was one of the things that was really challenging is is like getting people to look at their um, maybe some secondary beliefs around that, around what what are people getting from you know being disempowered from empathy because that's what it's not about. It's not about that. It's about empowerment. So that I love that. That work completely fires me up probably more than anything, is to see people shift. And then, of course, they, it's all our areas of their life. It helps heal their, their health issues. They're emotionally doing better. Their relationships improve. So that, that work, like I would say, the empath work is, is really great. And also just um, general counseling work with, with light workers in general. You know, some of the things, the challenges that they have. You know, just going on, in the, you know, I do a lot of work with, with other practitioners and teachers. I've always kind of been, you know, a teacher's teacher for some reason. That's been kind of interesting. But, yeah, I really, I would say I really love um, empowerment and seeing people get empowered and change some of you know, have those little shifts around some of those beliefs and then have their lives be so much more productive and happy for them. You know, I've really got it down to to two basic energies. There's up spiral and there's down spiral. There's empowerment and there's cancellation. When somebody brings you flowers, you know it. When somebody brings you thorns, you know it. I keep it really simple anymore. You That's know, it's great. Like I don't go into all those reasons for why anything is. I just keep it up spiral and down spiral. Alive and living and death and dying. Those are the only two energies I really pay attention to when I start tracking. Interesting. That's yeah. very cool. I had to That's give up all those cool. belief systems about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. After a while, you know, it, it can you can get burdened with with so many things that you're tracking. So, I just I just decided to go very simple because alive and living. If if a person is is has their energy pattern into alive and living, then they'll stay in the up spiral. But if they're into death and dying, then they need to mm-hmm. do something about that and correct themselves to go right. back into alive that and makes- living. That makes sense because, you know, especially if somebody, like you said, if you have health issues or, you know, vibrating low because your health, your, for example, your health is poor because I've had issues with that in the past, a lot of challenges with chronic illness and pain and that kind of thing, then you, you, that's true. Because if you're, if you're in that energy, then you're certainly, um, it's more of an effort to get back into the alive and living and get in the up spiral. And, of right. course, it can be done. But, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. And so the other thing that I'm noticing is that how people um, that are empaths, they don't ever want to say no to anybody that needs help. And they'll burn themselves out. They'll give right. and give and give. And then one day they wake mm-hmm. up and go, what just happened? Because they don't mm-hmm. have the balance within themselves to say no. So I'm finding that, you know, saying no and, and setting boundaries is mostly important to anybody that's doing empath work. Absolutely. I say that all the time, a little word, a big word with two letters, which is no. I actually have some jokes about that. And also, you know, there is people you don't want to get into a state. I see people get into a state of burnout where they where it goes into resentment, where they go from not only loving humanity and wanting to serve humanity, being so totally burdened by humanity that they are really not liking people anymore. 
Oh, and yeah. I have a kind of, you know, I, and really getting to, getting into resentment. And then, then we're, we're, we're talking about that downward spiral that you're referring to. So really, I, I mean, I've seen some really extreme cases with this. And, again, like I said, with illness and, and some of these areas that empaths can get into. So with me, I'm fortunate that um, I didn't take it to, you know, its logical limit. But I certainly did take it to some places that weren't healthy for me. Just because in my case, I was so um, open energetically that I just was picking up on everything. I, for me, a lot of it was just education. I needed to learn some tools and get some awareness about what was going on. And yeah. that was my particular, you know, that was my particular journey. Again, some practical tools that helped me, like, not merge with, with everything. There's some things you don't want to merge with, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that no, the word no and boundaries are vitally important. And that's, I probably repeat that, you know, people tease me, like, I go, yeah, I know I'm a broken record about that. But that needs to, that's a really important point to get across. Is that, you're you know, empath, your own energy. If you're an yeah. empath, you got to learn that number one. <laughs> That's the first thing you got to learn. Absolutely. When to yes. say no and set the boundaries because it can take you down really hard, really hard. Absolutely. Yes, true. One of my teachers, first teacher, said putting yourself first in your own life, right? All those metaphors, keeping your cup full, full all that good stuff. And to some people. When you, when you mention that, that's like so abhorrent to them because they're so used to just giving it all away. So there really is, you know, this, this kind of happy medium there. And that's something that, you know, it has grown out of my own work and in the books, you know, talking about that. How you can be of service but still be very much be of service and practice really good self-love, for, you know, for yourself and practical self-care. There is, there is that balance there for sure, and it's really important. Have you done a lot of travel? Have you been to sacred sites around the planet, or have you taken groups there? You know, I, I've been to – I really would like to get back to Glastonbury. Um, I, I've been to – I go to Sedona every year. And, you know, I've taken some groups, small groups to Sedona, and I'm really feeling the pull to uh, get over and, and visit my wonderful brothers and sisters in the U.K. I have a real, real drawn to, to going back there, especially I haven't been to Ireland yet. And I really want to get to Ireland. That that calls me very much. Um, but so really, I've done some groups out here in the California desert, out here in Joshua Tree. I used to do women's healing retreats. I haven't done those in a couple of years. So my retreat work has mostly been, with groups, has been in California and Arizona. But um, on, on the list is I really would like to get, like I said, back to the U.K. So did you do uh, groups at the Integraton yeah. over at Joshua Tree? Those are my friends. Yes, I've been there a lot of times. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, and also out in the park. Yeah, I love I love the Tron. The Tron's the Tron's so much fun. Yeah, good. So, yeah. do you have any more books that you're planning? And if so, what are they going to be about? I am on a. Thank you for asking that. I am on a, a book writing hiatus just for this year. Um, the next one I feel like that's kind of formulating is going to be on some more additional work on uh, family of origin issues because I have that one course that I created with Spiritual, uh, Spiritual University, Healing from Your Family of Origin and Reclaiming Your Life, which is also um, some issues that I've seen a lot with light workers and empaths with kind of dysfunctional, problematic stuff around the family of origin. So there's been quite a lot of good information that's come through from the keepers on that that um, isn't, you know, needs to be kind of compiled in a book. And I also want to do some more work on improving and talking about healing uh, the mother-daughter relationship, especially because I've had a really interesting journey with that in my own life. 
And I, whenever I've shared about that in social media just a little bit, that's something that's really connected with a lot of women and has been kind of validating and empowering for them. So that's what I feel like the next book is going to be about, will be about those, those issues. You know, it's real interesting that you brought that up because what I've been finding, I would say probably two to three people a week, uh, I'll say this too, I'll say, you know, you chose your mother not because of any karma, because of the bloodline, because you'd been in that bloodline before and you wanted to be back in it again. I'm finding that mm-hmm. a lot. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. That yeah. It does. And that makes sense, too, what I said um, about when you asked me about what work I like to do. I kind of forgot to mention that I, lo- I really love doing ancestral work. That's really interesting, too, and that's something, of course, that you can get out. We can see a lot of that out in the Akashic Records. Um, you know, like you said, the bloodline and where we come from, our ancestors at a, at a deeper level. And that's, there's a lot of really powerful information there. So I'm not surprised. That's very cool. Two or three people a week, that's a lot. <laughs> I know it. It's, it's, yes. It started happening It started happening last year, and uh, I'm finding that only the people that really have these star markings even make an appointment with me. The only time I ever get someone that doesn't have these markings is when, when, when someone will order it for someone else. Mm-hmm. But it's like mm-hmm. there's a beat beat going on. It's like they wake up and they go starseed, and then they find our website, and then the next thing I know they're listening to the show, and... And then they and then they want to see if they have star markings, so it's 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 a really interesting um, evolutionary spiritual galactic path that people are taking, and and it's because we're beeping. I'm telling you, we're we've got these GPS locators in our head, and we're beeping, and we gotta we gotta get really smart about our beeps. Okay. I <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. We're beeping. That's so great. And on another little note, I wanted to thank you so much for that star marking work. And as a fellow astrologer, that is phenomenal work. And it's so um, what what a wonderful service. Thank you so much. Because well, we, there, we, there we just started. You know, we've just uh, touched the, the the beginning stages of it, but I know that it's going to go to other places as we advance with our work. And eventually we will write the software where you can type in your birth information. It will go to a database, and then you'll find the other people that have the same star markings as you and the same kind of heritage that you have. And that will be real interesting. It will probably end up being a dating service, but we won't. We won't put it out as a dating service, but we can tell it to go that way. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that so much. That is amazing. Wow. And we have a lot of plans for the advancement of what we're going to be doing on Starseed Hotline. Absolutely. So at this time, I would like to, to, uh, to you and pass you over to Arielle, who is my co-host, and she has the switchboard. Would you be able to speak to some people that might want to call in and talk to you for a few minutes? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. Thank you, honey. So anytime you have something that you want to announce to our to our group, uh, if you want to come back on with a new book or, or an event, or if you just want to come on for 10 minutes to announce something, be sure and let us know, and we'll be, be able to schedule you. So back that to you, I'm Ariel. I'm so honored. Thank you so much. Well, Irma, this has just been fascinating, and I I, I love what you're doing and the – the perspective from which you're doing it. Um, and so at this time, if anyone who has already called into the show, if you would like to speak to Irma um, questions about her work or her books, you can um, just press 1, and then we'll know you want to come on the air. 
And if you are listening um, on the computer, then you'll need to dial 917-889-8292. And then after you're in, press 1, and um, you'll be able to ask your question of Irma. So um, that'll take a few minutes here. So um, as you were as you were speaking, um, I'm just thinking that you've really been you've been doing this a long time. And when you first, I mean, obviously when you first started, um, you have evolved quite a bit since then. But I'm just amazed. I mean, at 12 years old, you were picking up telepathically. That must have been pretty hard for you, you know, being, you know, <laughs> sixth grade or seventh grade doing that. <laughs> right. But you know what's a, what's a bit, thank you so much, too, for your kind words. Um, I have been in professional practice for, for 24 years this year, which is mind-blowing to think about. Um, it's really interesting to think, this is this is a cool little thing. Some of the people that I read uh, in grade school, they, I actually, because of the, the wonders of social media, I actually was able to reconnect with these people all these years later on Facebook, which was just really a trip and which was really, really cool. And, and really admiring the people, the adults, the people that they've evolved into and who they turned out to be. You know, they were, I was clicking with them when we were 12 and we're still clicking, you know? <laughs> all oh, these that's so cool. Later. I know, isn't that cool? I mean, that that is really, it is really cool. It was kind of, in, another thing too, I think another thing that a lot of Indigos have experienced is um, being in a family that, um, though it wasn't hyper-religious, but it was religious to a certain extent, and I, I think that there was a lot of, um, you know, this whole whatever you want to call black sheep or, or rejection that um, a lot of light workers go through because people just didn't get me. You know, I was really, that was something that really was painful for me. And I, I find when I connect with other folks in this work, um, that, that's a common bond. And it, it's been very healing for people. Um, that's another thing that's been great about social media, I feel, is the communities that are there and the healing that's been there when you, you know, like and like-minded people, as I, as I always like to say, you know, when you meet mm-hmm. other people that get you at that level, you know, and I love this whole idea about the, the star seed markings and taking that to that level. I mean, that's so cool that that's, that's what we're moving into because it's necessary. It's needed, you know. Well, it, it really gives people because I mean, every, every star seed that I talk to, you know, in, in my work, They basically say the same thing, is that I always figured that, you know, I was a freak or something wrong with me. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't, you know, nobody understood me. Um, And they they start doubting themselves. And then when you put in some religious training, you know, then then that's mostly, you know, fear, guilt, and shame. Um, Right. It's really tough because, as you said, there's a lot of star seeds that – haven't had a lot of experience on planet Earth, and you know right. you come in, you come in, you know you agreed for. I mean, most of us agreed to amnesia, and uh, right, you know, and and you have to kind of start from scratch. Uh, and I, I mean, I just know that. I guess my point is that you're not alone. Whoever is listening and experiencing this, you're not alone. These are very common, and it's actually a trait, you know, for star seeds. And then they come and they find our website, and then they find out about their star markings and all the pieces. It just starts, you know, falling together for them, 
And it really is um, an honor and a privilege to um, have been trained by Lavendar to do this. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's a, a validation. So people's like, oh, okay, so I'm not crazy. And then they can go forward with that. Um, and then there's a lot of education and remembering that has to happen. But um, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to witness. It's phenomenal. It's, it's so beautiful. Like I said, I love the fact, especially like I said, I'll repeat again as an astrologer, that you actually have a model. You have it in black and white. It's one thing to, you know, and in, not to invalidate intuition because it's what I do, but, you know, to have a, a, a basic a blueprint, a map, and go, look, look right here. You've got the star seed right here. You know, the markings in the chart, you know, th- there it is in black and white. You know, that to me is so validating and so powerful, that information that you guys have, have uncovered that. That, to me, is, like, really exciting. <laughs> it's the yeah, well, explorer <laughs> side of me. <laughs> I, I mean, it was yeah. Lavendar that uncovered it through three years of high strangeness and, and demonstrations from the Pleiadians, and, but right. she was astute enough to, to get it. <laughs> so um, right. mission accomplished. For sure. Well, wow, that's, um, that's great. Let me ask our audience one more time. If you've got a, a question, if you would like to ask um, of Irma, you'll need to um, dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And if you're already on the switchboard, then you'll need to press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. Um, and it's, we're, just, we're still waiting, so we can continue chatting here for a bit. Well, just keep talking. Um, don't be shy, people. I know there's some folks on my Facebook page that we're talking about coming coming on today, so don't be shy, folks. Give us a call. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess and I have to say that there have been a few occasions when people pressed 1 and it didn't show up on the board. So, um, you know, if you need to hang up and call back in again, if you've got a question that's just burning uh, and you're not seeing um, anybody coming to answer your phone, um but we'll just give them another couple of minutes and uh, continue because sure. I'm enjoying you. our chat. Oh, me so, too very um, much. Yeah. So, and I think it's wonderful that you take breaks so that you can have yes. longevity. You know, because a lot, you know, a lot of people. Can, oh yeah. You, you can get burned out, especially you know. I mean, you've had a lot of of training and lessons and practice at. Um, shielding yourself. I mean, um, I know I remember a time when I went, the, when I really started waking up, I went to the mall at Christmas time. I came home, I was a basket case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, yeah, because the mall. Or the M A U L, as I like to call it, the mall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I mean, I had to, I had to learn a few techniques myself just so that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, get ready, get suited up. You're going into the mall, and you're just going to go right. in and get out, and, and you're going to come out feeling, you know, just as happy as you went in. But, right. yeah, um, so <laughs> I would say. That's um, an important an one for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're an empath that hasn't learned how to, how to, um, to shut it off, then you need to talk, you need to, talk to Irma because, um, I mean, the and third dimension. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, the, the third dimension is is hard enough, um, but when you have when you have that that those sensitivities, 
um, it can it can get kind of harsh. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I just thought of something to share about that. It's something that I've seen because I have done a lot of extensive work with empaths in my practice is, as you know, you're talking about, you know, these things, these uh, kind of in-breaths and out-breaths or ebbs and flows in the awakening process. So as you know that there's times where empaths are also in a spiritual awakening process, there can be times where maybe their empathy is a little bit more easy to manage, right? And then there'll be other times where it's, you know, basically the people are breathing too loud in the room or something. You know, yeah. it's, it's very, very intense. And so there's times I've really seen, too, that it, it's, um, you know, it's cyclical and it does go up and down. And there are, you know, there's times where it really it can be a lot more difficult. And those are times where it's important to know where, you know, that's where these empath groups and things are useful, where people can go, okay, I'm not losing it. I'm just in one of these periods. Um, you know, like, and when you're in one of, you know, somebody's in one of those periods, it would probably be advisable, to, for example, to not go to the mall on that day. You know, it's all about kind of this self-awareness and, and learning, you know, where you are within that process. So that's been another thing, you know, that my empath work has been about is just kind of honoring, knowing that it changes and it, shift, it shifts and changes. And that if you're overtly sensitive one day, just to honor that. You know, there's days that I... You know, I keep my house well stocked, you know, I, so I don't have to go to the grocery store if I don't have to on a certain day. You know, I try to just kind of set, and that's not even in a thing like a fear thing. It's just, it's more of like a self-preservation and a self-honoring thing. Like, what do I need today? That has been another part of it is like shifting that. You know, there's been a lot of this, like, what I call big scary world syndrome, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Too, which could be, uh, you know what I mean? Which could be really overwhelming, like you said, in 3D being challenging enough, like, amen, sister, ain't that the truth, to just being able to, um, you know, like I said, just to honor where you are and to shift that kind of a fearful view to a more, um, to a view of safety and empowerment. That, that really, I think, is kind of what the bottom line of both of those books is, is about, really. It's kind of it's, it's that subtle shift in view, you know, and I think that that's, that's been very powerful and helpful for people. I know it was for me, anyway. Yeah, well, that's a good so point. Well, yeah, we've got a caller that is out of the uh, um, screening room now, so we're going to be talking to okay, Laura right. as soon as I get the mic open. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, well, it's still hi, spinning. Hello, Laura, can you hear us? Yes, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, okay, great. Yes, so, Laura, you are, you're on the air with Irma. Well, thank you, Irma, for all your information. Um, I actually have all your books and have found it very helpful. I do have a question, though, about the keepers. I was wondering, what is the most important thing that you've learned from them up to this time? First of all, thank you so much for supporting my work, Laura. Thank you so much for that. And what is the most important thing I've learned from the keepers? Wow, that's such a good question. Um Okay, they just reminded me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, they have been known to say um, at the end of what these little messages that I share on my author page, um, it's, I think it's a Hindu expression, Sat Chit Ananda, which means you are that, translated. So that has been um, – they don't say that as much, but when I first started contacting them, that would be kind of their signature. They, they would either say that or they'd say Shanti – um, you know, you are dearly loved, something like that. So I think the reminder that that we are divinity, um, that's what you are, that means. What is it? You are infinite consciousness, infinite awareness, um, and infinite bliss. That's what Satchitananda means. So I think really they've said a lot of 
powerful things over the years, and hopefully they'll continue to say more. But I think that that really is it. You are that. You are that what you seek, right? It's all within. So I think that's that's probably the most important message. Okay, thank, thank you. you. That's a great question. Yeah, sure is. Did you have another question, Laura? Oh, I'm sure I have an infinite amount of questions. It's just they just roll through my head so quickly. Um, I guess the next question would be, what is what would you suggest um, for an empath, how they should handle their surroundings or family that does have a difficult time with them? What is based off your own personal experience? Okay. That that is kind of a detailed question, and I, like I said, I am going to probably I explored that in the course that I wrote, and I'm going to explore that in the next book. But I think um, what's helped me, and this is something that the keepers gave that's that's out of the course, um, is is also not only remembering our own divinity, but remembering the divinity of other people, um, our family, and even if they're doing weird stuff, you know, remembering that the personality level isn't the ultimate truth. It's helpful, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been helpful for me, anyway. <laughs> Um, and also, I mean, there's been times in my journey with my own family of origin where I've, you know, declined invitations. If the energy read on that day is it, just like negative zero, if I'm really feeling a storm on the horizon about an event, then I won't go. And I've really learned kind of the hard way where I, it's always the case, you know, this is across the board, right, with everybody's gut feeling and intuition like, oh, when I didn't listen to that, that sure didn't go well, Right. So it's been that kind of a thing where I've really honored, learned to honor um, about what events I attend and what I don't attend. And that um, also that they'll be fine without me. It's okay to practice good self-care. And also there's times at first when people don't get that and um, people need to kind of be educated. It doesn't happen overnight. But I think that's really, when it comes to family of origin with empaths, such a vitally important thing is to practice good self-care. And sometimes that does create a conflict where people are, you know, you hear the S word, you're being selfish, right? That comes up. And you have to just, I had to just learn to tune that out and go, well, if the energy read on that day, there's big black storm clouds over there, then I'm choosing to stay at home and not attend. And and it's, it's going to blow over and it's going to be okay. And it always is, you know, it ultimately always is. But so I'd say that was that's two things actually, honor, you know, honoring your own boundaries and your own self care, and also remembering the divinity of other people. And I know sometimes with their behavior is <laughs> is far from that. That that's a little bit more challenging to do. I've been there myself. But those are the, that's a really good question too. Thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you for your books. I love them. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to hear that. I really appreciate it. I think that's it for questions for me for now. Okay. Well, thank you so much much for calling. Thank you, Laura. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a good question, good couple of questions. It sure was. Great questions. Love them. Yeah. Excellent audience. Well, we had had a – Another caller with a question, but it was uh, of a personal nature, so we can't pick that one up. But if anyone else has a, a, a general question about Irma's work or uh, books or online courses or anything, uh, please press 1. Or if you're not already on the switchboard, you need to dial 
8292. And um, we'll give them just a couple more minutes here because I think we uh, probably ought to start wrapping up. So thank you so um, much. Me, Can I just add real quick? Cool? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. Um, I, I did want to say that if there, for some reason, if people do have a question and they're not here live tonight, um, they can always visit com. They can visit Cosmic Weather at Facebook. I'm able to receive messages at that page as well. So I really do welcome people's questions, uh, especially regarding the work in my books. And I know that people this time, you know, might not be convenient for, for everybody. And um, hopefully they'll listen to the podcast. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, I mean, actually, I mean, over the course of the week, I keep track, and most people will download and listen, um, you know, not live. So that's really good mm-hmm. information. If you have a question and the show's already over, but you're listening to the the replay, then um, her her website is Irma, I R M A, K, S A W Y E R dot com, and your Facebook page is. Well, you've got several, don't you? I do. But, yeah, we could recommend Cosmic Weather. Uh, that's an easy one. And um, that that's Facebook.com, and then the, the, the search words are stars and the word A-N-D, vibes. Stars and vibes will take them to Cosmic Weather. Okay, cool. You know, I had a thought a little earlier cool. when you were talking um, about Cosmic Weather and um, astrology. And I suppose um, if you if you were an empath, you probably want to keep track of the moon, right? Do you do that? Absolutely. I know mean, you do new moon and full moon, but you know, like mm-hmm. with the moon's in Cancer, uh, or or some yes. very 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 something that's going to uh, you know turn up the volume on your empathy or your or your sensitivity. You know, it might help people to um, always keep track of where the moon is. And there are um, there's a little book called The Pocket Astrologer. Um, it's got right. a lot of cool cool info in it. But um, yeah, so you already do that. You know what you thought that's such that's such an important point. In fact, I follow that probably more than I was think when I was thinking about said oh when the moon's in Cancer, and I said oh yeah oh, oh when it's in double Gemini <laughs> like it was over the weekend right we have new moon yeah. and sun and new moon in Gemini. You know, talk about turning up the electrical energy and the mercurial energy, like, on 11. So, absolutely, the moon is so important to to everybody, of course, but just to empath-sensitive. Yeah, Yeah, we definitely track the moon. Well, even people that are not empath or sensitive, they are still affected by it. So, people that are normally maybe on an even keel, the moon can get in a sign that, that just, you know, makes them go bonkers. And that would not be a good time for, um, you know, to go to the mall. (laughs) (laughs) that's the one thing I think that that when I've done other interviews is people have said that they find that so helpful in in planning their day or like the other thing too is it's validating to them because you know of course everybody's intuitive to a certain degree or they'll go oh I was getting this kind of vibe like maybe I shouldn't do that and then I went on cosmic weather and I saw these were the aspects of the day and I was like oh it just kind of backed my decision to not do that or on the other hand, it might it back my decision to go for it. You know, it could be something that was very proactive and positive. You know, and has to do with uh, mm-hmm. with being direct and forward motion. So yeah, it's really cool that um, people do use it. You know, as as a gauge in, in their daily lives. I love that. That that's really um, that makes me really happy, and that's really validating because we get a lot of um, imp- you know emails from people that that use it that way too. But 
You mm-hmm. saw it right about the moon, sister. <laughs> That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it affects yeah. everybody. I mean, the planet, the waters, the people. Yes. And, um, you know, knowing where the moon is um, will just help you navigate. I mean, I got to a, I got to a point where, you know, because I was in the public a lot more, you know, the physical public than I am now um, when I was performing. And and I would just I just get to know it's like, man, where was the moon tonight that I bet it was in I go home and look and say, sure enough. Because you can you can you can sense it from you know people when they're you know when they're really generous and the moon's in Leo and um, you know you know what I'm talking about so yeah it's, absolutely it gets, oh yeah like, that's true you, yeah and you can get familiar enough with planetary energies that um, you know empathically you can sense them and then as you said then you go look it up and it's like aha and it's kind of like a retroactive um, fine tuning. Of the of your, your system when you're when you're sensing it's like, oh you know, Mars is square Uranus today. I think I'm gonna just kind of <laughs> not do anything silly. Um, right. Yeah. So that's or like don't that's, plan. You know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say don't don't plan uh, high school reunions in in uh, Mars Pluto opposition. You know, just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a yeah. suggestion for anybody that might be planning a high school reunion and um, a nice Leo celebratory moon would be good. And um, that's another thing, yeah, when, when you're planning. That's another area, you know, that it comes in handy with. I was going to joke, too, and say, well, I know it's a cancer moon because I always, I always have a good cry, usually in a cancer moon. I really like them, but they are very deep for me, for example. Uh, Pisces moon, I love music, and I'll get very musical on the Pisces moon, of course, because it's Nept- very Neptunian. So, yeah, you, you definitely got that right. I wanted to ask you about your performing. What what type of performing did you do, or do you do? Can I ask you that? Um, well, um, I still sing limited um, engagements um, for our Crystal Quest, but I don't I don't sing in, in public, public anymore. But, yeah, I... I uh, was professional musician, singer, songwriter, recording oh, artist. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yay. Well, I love music. That's wonderful. Oh, it's a universal language. So um, I don't think we're going to have another caller because I've given them plenty of chances. <laughs> so okay. uh, I just want to kind of wrap okay, up shy and recap. people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, and maybe they would prefer a more private, you know, um, yes. Posting on on a page or or contacting you through yes. the Facebook or your or your website. Um, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, we can just and briefly tell everybody how to get a hold of you. That's great. Thank you. So um, did I see on your email that you've also got like um, Instagram and Twitter and all all the everything. Do you want? I to- am I am all over the place on Instagram. I'm Starseer11. At Twitter, I'm Stargirl23. Okay, so there we go. Everybody, you know how to get a hold of Irma now if you wish to. And your books are available, of course, on your website. Um, are they also in other outlets? They, thank you for asking. They are all on Amazon. Um, the digital uh, copies are available at Sony, Kobo, Smashwords. And I believe, um, oh, and the uh, hard copies are available at CreateSpace. So they are available in quite a few places. 
Okay. Well, it has been a pleasure having you with us this evening, and I think your message is very, very important because, as I said, we, we work with a lot of empathic people, and it's it's something that, that they it's a tool that they need to have is what you've already learned in our offering. So um, we encourage everybody to take advantage of the, the you had to learn it the hard way, and now you're making it easier for others so they don't have to Absolutely. go that route. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was so delightful to speak to you. Oh, it's our pleasure, Irma. Thank you so much. And um, like Lavendar said, anytime you want to come back, if you've got a new book or you just want to mention something to uh, that you're an activity that you're involved with, you're more than welcome to do that. And um, I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. So um, that is it for us here. We want to thank you for listening to Starseed Radio Academy. And until next week, please remember to count your blessings every day. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 